Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's Strength in the Numbers show and the second part in our series of unlocking value creation and capture within organisations. Now last week I went through why we were caught in this position of being perhaps perceived as a cost centre or an overhead and this week it's how to start applying very simple to access tools that we could all utilise to start on the journey of moving away from just focusing on preserving value to actually creating more value within our organizations and then how to to go on that journey and some things we can do to sustain it and towards the end of the episode because i was doing this virtual conference at the, and speaking at this event what you also will benefit from is maybe some of the questions that the audience had and i did my best to get through all of them and if you do have any other questions just leave them in the comments that go along with this post. As well as if you think your friends and colleagues would benefit from the insights shared, please uh, let them know about the show. We're on all the major platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And thank you for investing your time with us today. So without further ado, over to the show. One of the key ones that is accessible to everyone doing it ourselves in terms of unlocking value creation is mentoring. Now what I share with you is actually um, from another uh, uh, time we ran the value potential pulse. But what we found was that in this case, within the tech and data savvy asset on the agile dimension, um, the, the team overall scored pretty poorly. You know, a D is not a great score. But um, what it turned out is that there was one person in that team who was exceptional at being agile when it came to data and data management. And that person was then used as a mentor to bring everyone else's skill level up. And what even transpired even more was that person thought of themselves as more of a technical, uh, geeky type person, an individual contributor. And, and um, during the process actually came to their line management and said, I'd really, really like to consider becoming a manager. I'm really enjoying mentoring the team around me and I feel like I never thought I'd be a manager, but I'd actually really like to explore that as an option. And uh, what do you think about that employee going forward? Do you think they're going to be more engaged? Uh, more, more than likely. So I think mentoring has many benefits, not just for the mentees, the people being mentored, but those doing the mentoring as well. And that's accessible to everyone. And like, how simple is this? Yeah looking at what the best scores in the team is versus the lowest one and then bringing everyone's average level up. Uh, it's not that difficult and it can be done quite simply and, and these results have just been presented in Excel. Okay, so that's accessible to all of us. Uh, then we have uh, another approach which is close to my heart, uh, podcasts. Uh, I've actually been approached the last few weeks from a couple of very large multinationals um, seeking to figure out how to do their own podcasts, which I think is a great idea. Um, because within larger organizations, there's, there's a lot of staff that, uh, that can share really good lessons, things that work and things that, that don't work. Um, you know, shortcutting the, 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 the learning curve for a lot of us and increasing our, our chances of success. 
Um, and there's loads of other good podcasts out there. So Chris Argent's Generation CFO podcast, I highly recommend you check that out. David Boyars from The Trenches. If you're more in practice, that's an awesome podcast as well. Um, but I'm going to focus on the one I, I founded and, and uh, produced, which is a Trends in the Numbers show. And I want to point you to the website because the way it's been set up is to allow you to reference it over time. So there's a search bar in the top corner of the website, the show website, sitnshow.com. And let's say you're curious to understand more about business partnering. Well, if you were to type that into the search bar, you'd get a list of all the podcasts where the term comes up. And then if you go into the show notes, the show notes themselves take twice as long to produce as the interview itself because we painstakingly go through each interview and, and timestamp where that term comes up so that let's say you want to learn about business partnering, no need to listen to the whole podcast. By the way, I think you should. This one by Anders Leo Lundberg, which is our 100th podcast. Um, just focusing on those sections that you deem relevant to you. Uh, and that way you're getting the learning in a much more compressed time frame rather than having to spend all day listening to podcasts. So um, I encourage you to listen to podcasts as, as another way of, of um, how do you say, improving our ability, learning from others of what works and what doesn't when it comes to unlocking value. And um, you get some really cool tips. I mean, this is one I pulled from a recent episode from Stan Besco. Um, when he was a leader in finance, what he used to do was block out time in people's diaries so that they could go develop. Remember, when we're in this sort of fight or flight mode, we're probably not spending the time we should be on being proactive and enhancing our skills and our assets. So what Stan realized was, well, I'm going to have to take action on this as a leader and put time in people's diaries. So they did this. Um, so he did that and to make sure he did that he also scheduled and follow up with time afterwards so you could ask them what they learned and how they enhanced their assets so you get some amazing tips from doing the podcast and uh, which are very easy to incorporate in the work and that was the whole idea of it is to deconstruct what works well and what to avoid and then finally I want to talk about targeted workshops because I do believe if you're doing it yourself the skills in your organizations just to do those workshops for the asset areas that you need to enhance. Um, and in those, I think simulation is key. So when we do a lot of workshops, they tend to be more very simulation based in terms of introducing the tools and practically applying them. And what I share now is actually the most common tool that we, we use and has been very successful. It's just a simple Excel template. Um, you can see a lot of this unlocking value creation isn't rocket science. That and, and, and a couple of columns have what stakeholders want and what it is they have. So it forces us to engage, come out from our caves and engage in a conversation about where to create value. Because if there's a difference between what stakeholders have and what it is that they want, there's a gap to go solve. You go solve that gap, make them the same, you've just created value for your stakeholders. And in the scenario, the case study I was mentioning, um, they had, finance were completely irrelevant. And what happened is they used this tool to go to stakeholders and start asking questions. And funny enough, there was a concern that stakeholders wouldn't even listen. Well, that's not the point. The whole point is that finance listens to the stakeholders. So we engage in a conversation, be sincere, genuinely interested in trying to help them, trap the information that, uh, and, and the things that they want to go solve. And the moment you start solving those problems, you start developing credibility as people who can deliver. And when people think that we can deliver, they'll start trusting us more and we'll become more influential and more relevant. Such a simple tool with such profound impact. And um, one of the, 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 the team members in the case study, he really took this survey to heart, this, this tool to heart. He actually put a column, an additional column in there 
next to the stakeholder's name and um, he wrote out what their responsibilities were in their role and they actually used that as a tracking document in the team. So for new joiners or people joining, it was an asset, uh, it just enhanced their assets. So someone was saying, all oh, right, this is what this person did or does and these are the things they wanted. What a great learning tool. So again, another way of contributing to your finance assets. Um, one that's got very popular lately is this value log, particularly for leaders trying to track, track the value their team are offering. Um, this, uh, you know, um, I've spread it out in a number of different ways because that's how, uh, how we do it in the workshops. But in terms of using this tool in simple terms, uh, when, when, you know, we're focusing on, uh, our teams are focusing on contributing value and having to record it, they're going to be looking for ways to add and create and unlock more value in our organizations. So then as a leader, you just consolidate these. And uh, we're pretty good at putting a number, so our financial analysis on things. So we tend to be able to do this. And as much as I might have amended the numbers here for sensitivity purposes, um, these things really did happen. So there's loads of different ways we can add value. And uh, one thing I didn't add on here, but um, in the same company, there was one person who got six testimonials just for one, one work, bit of work from their business partners. So um, if you can't put a value on it, at least get testimonials saying that the team contributed value. And I talk about this more at one of the podcast episodes, number 109 as well. So, you know, once we've sort of applied some tools, the next thing is to reassess uh, where we are. And in the case of the case study that, that we did, um, the team moved from, from a good bit of red to a lot more green. And it wasn't by no means perfect. There was still plenty of room for opportunity. And like if I give you an example, the guest mentors we get onto the strength in the numbers, the ones that have done the survey, they tend to score high 80s, um, uh, or mid 80s, sorry, and low 90s. So they, they tend to get A or very high B grades when it comes to the value potential pulse. And that's because they've got so much experience. And that's why we bring them in our mentors is to share. So in terms of the team overall, they had some way to go, but they were doing much better. And having reassessed, they now know they might need to go and do some work on their engagement asset and enhance that one next. And just go through this process again of doing the podcasts and the, the, the targeted workshops and the mentoring and, and, and move forward that way. Um, just some other ideas. Uh, one thing that we found was very useful. I don't know if some of the older audience members. Mixtapes were very much in vogue growing up in the 80s and 90s. I know they were for me. Um, is in effect uh, when you're sort of targeting in on, on uh, asset deficiencies and enhancing, enhancing and improving and overcoming them. You develop mixtapes. So I, I just pulled uh, these get previous guest mentors for the Strength in the Numbers show. But, uh, you know, what's stopping you going to other podcasts and creating your own mixtapes? And then as a finance team, listening to those uh, and then maybe discussing those at a team meeting in terms of what you've learned. And people can listen to these on the way into work. I mean, talking to audience members of the Strength in the Numbers show, uh, people listen to them in the gym uh, when they're cycling to work, uh, when they're on holiday, would you believe it? Um, it's, uh, it, it's not where people listen to podcasts, but uh, again, another effective way of keeping the focus on value creation even after it's been reassessed and it's just continually chipping away at it. Uh, one area that we're actually in talk with a supplier on is developing some smart cards so people can carry around uh, a two-sided description of what an asset, good asset looks like and how to go execute and implement on it so that's always available to them. And as well as some sort of tools, one of my favorite cards we're working on is the check-in, check-out, which is how to run effective meetings as finance professionals. So um, 
and, and this is another thing, you know, I hope people don't feel I'm coming across, this is just for large organisations or, or, or corporate finance teams. This goes for practice as well. I mean, tracking the value that we're adding for our private clients and their businesses and being on the lookout and proactively looking out for value opportunities for them, they very much appreciate that, you know, and it's a great way of building trust and credibility and long-term sustainable relationships and also an asset base of being able to help various different clients that we can build on over time. Because it's one thing serving our existing stakeholders or clients, then it's about scaling it um, into the future to go and help even more and become more relevant and more influential in what we do. And this is really how it all comes together. It is a bit like an orchestra when they're starting out and they're tuning up their instruments. It's all a bit disjointed, all a bit noisy, not very pleasant on the ear or even to look, listen to or look at. But uh, over time what you find is that when an orchestra comes together to play, they tend to get more in sync. Just like finance professionals looking to create and, and, and unlock value in organisations. And when, you, when they, they start to getting more in sync, then, then they, they sort of, uh, as a, they take from neuroscience, is that cells that wire together far together and you're building this very strong asset foundation that's very hard to, to destroy so when people come and go into the into organizations into teams of very strong finance assets it tends not to disrupt them too much they tend to be a very solid base so you don't lose all those gains that you've built up over the years and anyway when there's less asset deficiencies people tend to get less uh, disaffected i mean if you think about it you know, we wouldn't tolerate an asset deficiency like a hole in the ceiling at, at our own homes. You know, why would we tolerate an asset deficiency in a place where we spend the second most amount of our time in our working lives? Yeah, that's that's just human nature. So no wonder why people become disengaged and, and leave their finance roles or whatever. It's because we're just not tackling asset deficiencies. So it's just another way of, of you know, trusting in the process and coming together like an orchestra. Now, I've painted a very good picture of this, and we're just about to wrap up soon, and I'll be opening uh, to questions. But there were two very big challenges that tend to present as we're doing it ourselves, or even when, when you're bringing contractors in to go help, is that uh, we, we have two very large challenges. The first one is an image problem. Um, you know, Like in the organization I mentioned where finance were deemed irrelevant, um, I, I think uh, this, this topic's been very well discussed by David Boyer. He, he highlights some research from the Australian Financial Review. And uh, let's just picture um, people going to a barbecue and there's 10 people there with financial problems. Now, four of the people at that barbecue won't talk to anyone about their financial problems. Uh, two and a half people will probably talk to a business partner or a work colleague about it. Uh, one and a half will talk to a friend or a family member and only one person will talk to an accountant or finance professional. And here's the rub of the green. The person talking to a, a, a friend or, or family member only has a, a one in four chance, a 25% chance of a successful financial outcome. The one talking to a business partner or colleague has a 50% chance, so a flip of a coin, coin toss. Uh, the one that talks to an accountant has an over 80% chance of a successful outcome. Yeah, people aren't talking to finance professionals or accountants. You know, why is that? Well, they just don't see us as being very proactive or being very much able to help. And if you look at our history, we've all been about preserving and safeguarding value, not really about creating value or solving problems for people. It's just not with the perception, it doesn't go with our territory. We're like the guys who stay behind in their caves. 
And uh, the thing is, you know, uh, just like in the scenario and the case study we had, it's a case of taking tools like the have once analysis, the stakeholder analysis, and going out and having conversations with stakeholders and customers about what it is that they value, what do they want, and, and helping them and deploying solutions so they can go have get it. That's moving out of the navigator zone as well, as you mentioned earlier. It's about deploying solutions, not just stopping at asking questions to get to a solution. It's taking it further as well. And then the second element is, as I want to give our leaders a bit of slack here, is they're also suffering from the same changing environment as we are, from the technology threats and so on. Um, you know, they might even have a few more that we need to consider, but our leaders have not been trained in how to deal with asset deficiencies. They're thinking behavioral problems, right? Because the mind, again, it's just reverting back to survival mode. There's so much going on. Um, not maybe finding the time to think so it's a bit like learning to swim you know there's two ways you can learn to swim right there's one way which is you go get some instruction from an instructor you might watch some youtube videos talk to some people or mentors about swimming technique and so on and then slowly and surely just ease your way into the pool and get more familiar that way the other way is to be pushed into the deep end and hope you don't drown and i feel like a lot of leaders have just been pushed into the deep end without being given the right supports the buoyancy aids and so on to, to ensure that they're successful at this. So I firmly believe just give our leaders a bit of slack. Um, and now that you've attended this presentation, hopefully you've got some ideas to encourage them and suggest to them, well, maybe rather than telling us to behave better, because we know you're well-meaning, could we perhaps maybe look at uh, doing something ourselves about fixing our asset deficiencies so we can be a stronger and more relevant finance organization going forward? And I think that's a more constructive approach uh, to, to work with. Now, if you'd like to continue the conversation, um, we'd love for you to connect with us. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, and I also include my email address as well at the Strength in the Numbers show. And um, if you are interested in, in following up on podcasts, uh, we're doing quite well. We've reached a lot of countries already around the world, 144 of them. And uh, yeah, our, our monthly views keep on growing. So. Really appreciate investing the time with us and open to take any questions you might have. All right, we've got a question here. Okay, so just reading it out as it goes, I've not really done this many times, is uh, sometimes I see stakeholders don't know how to describe what they want from finance clearly because they've never seen that value before. How important is it to learn more about their strategic or business objectives to work this out with and for them so you can help them work out what they really want and need? That's actually a very fantastic point and question. Um, and I like the fact that it's been moved to what they need. Um, I can share an example where I completely messed up once. I went into a, a business partner knowing in my own mind without talking to them very much this is what you need what do you think the response was back to me um uh, get out of here get lost don't want to do business with you so um so you know as much as we're very smart people i think that's part of our problem in finance you know it's not easy to get a finance qualification or survive a career in finance it can be quite stressful we're very reactive and um and sometimes you just do stupid things like i just did there but the, the, the fact of the matter is we do need to invest the time to understand 
the business objectives of the people we're working with. And it's not necessarily business objectives, it could be personal objectives as well. If you work with smaller enterprises, or, 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 or you know, even, even, you know, everyone's got a story behind on the business, you know, um, like about, it might be about paying mortgage or making the mortgage payments. So this is a good one, is if, um, if you, you can find a savings opportunity in terms of money or, or freeing up some working capital, you might phrase that back to them in terms of their business objectives, which is, you know, you could, if, you, if you do this on your working capital, on your creditor days and your debtor days, you might actually be able to um, knock 50% off your monthly mortgage payments. You just related an action back to something that makes a meaningful impact in their personal lives. Um, so you're combining personal and business, or someone might be much, very much business focused, but that takes an understanding. And um, doing what I'm doing here is not a great example of getting that understanding because I've done a lot of talking. But you know, one rule of thumb is very good is to you know to listen twice as much as you speak. That's why we've two ears and one mouth. So it's about trying to find out their objectives, and that's why the have wants tool is very useful. It figures out what they want, maybe not what they need, but if you go in what they need first. You're not even going to get the chance to build a relationship, build credibility and build trust. So when it comes to stakeholders, it's very important to give them what they want first, as long as it's ethical. Yeah, that's another thing we do as finance professionals. It's our independence and it's our integrity and upholding ethical behavior. Because uh, we ultimately serve, businesses serve the communities we live in. So that's the best way of going about it. As long as it's ethical, give them what they want. And then over time, they'll, they'll be open to understanding what it is they really need. Great question. So I'm not sure if there's any more questions. Let me just go through. Oh, I think there's another one. Ah, yes, great question. What are some books on finance business partnering you mentioned? Okay, so obviously, uh, I think... I was told I wrote the first one, Audacious Finance Partner, and that probably that's why I became a bestseller. But it's not very hard to become a bestseller in finance business partnering because there's not many books on it. Although I think it's in the management accounting category on Amazon. Now uh, there was another one. It's more of a textbook. It's a bit more expensive, but I believe you get a good return on investment in your money because there's a lot of practical models in there. It's uh, how to create value as a finance business partner, and uh, you might recognise one of the authors, Anders Leo Lindberg. Another one is Bo Foged, and they originally wrote that book in Danish, and I helped them with the English, um, taking the English translation and making it readable for uh, an American and British and Australian audiences around the world. Um, so I highly recommend that one. It's a bit heavier going, it's about 400 pages, but it's got a lot of practical models, and it's set up very nicely for you just to take it and implement it, but it would be an investment on your, your part um, in terms of uh, in terms of parting with some cash for it, but I do think you'll get a good, useful return on it. Um, there are some other ones I saw on Amazon. Um, uh, there's one by Andrew Jepson, if you're coming from practice, from Compliance Commercial. He was also a guest mentor on the show as well, so if you want a flavor of what's in that book, highly recommend you check out our podcast together, which was one of our earlier podcasts as well. And... Um, one that's not strictly finance business partnering, but it's coming out soon. I was able to get a preview of it um, from one of the authors who was also a guest mentor on the show, um, Rhonda Lynn Carlack, around pricing value. Um, we're brought up with this viewpoint of value-based pricing, which is completely the wrong way to look at solving problems for our stakeholders and clients. 
It's more about understanding the value context for them and then putting an appropriate price against that as well. So thinking about how to position pricing and what we're really aiming back. So great question, and I hope you find those sources were useful. Okay, another question uh, coming in. Um, do you think that it's realistic that finance practices, rather than those already working within the industry, uh, can navigate the necessary transition into business partnering without spending time running finance internally in the business first? i.e. is it realistic that business leaders will actually listen to professionals that have never worked with an industry? Great question. Um, I think business leaders will listen to anyone that can add value to them. And I think um, to get to that point is very much human skills. Yes, paper very much helps you open the door. Uh, but I give you an example from my own experience. I worked in the mailroom. It was my first job in industry. Um, uh, I was um, actually it was on a summer I was, I was um, at university and I had an interest in accounting and finance wanted to get a flavour so I went to work in the mailroom the lowest job basically in finance and my job was to open the envelopes take out the invoices and feed them into the document scanner it was one of the first times that technology was replacing uh, people in accounts payable and um, as I was scanning them in Again, just basic knowledge was I noticed that um, the deliveries were coming in on pallets, but we weren't getting any credit notes for the pallets. So when I started sounding out some of the managers and ultimately got to the director and the controller of the facility, it was a whiskey manufacturer, um, they set me up at the terminal and I added up all the invoices and compared them to where the credits were. And we found out that we had a million pounds sterling worth of credit notes we could go claim for. And... Um, and you know like that was a so I was able to get them to listen to me even though I had very little experience of industry or knowledge just the, some common sense which I think a lot of us in finance uh, possess because we're there to deconstruct uh, transactions and, and how things flow from one part of the business to the other so as I said I was just on a, on a, on a college um, summer holiday in effect and had a very good rewarding role and I think they gave us a very rare bottle of whiskey if I recall and um, a couple of weeks worth of bonus as well um, without having to do any work so anyone that can unlock value for organizations no matter where they come from will be listened to but it does help to have those bits of paper and that backing behind you maybe helps give us a bit of confidence but it's not a necessary um, or, or but it's just sufficient enough I think to go add value it's a great question I hope that answers it oh my god there's loads of questions here hope I can get through them now um, I'm going to try and open it to a bigger panel here that's much better Okay, right Brad, I'm gonna to have to answer your question here now. As we describe at the outperformer, value existed at the intersection of a problem and a solution relative to the stakeholders of business objectives. Yet, as more common, Brad, and thanks for the encouragement, I completely agree with you. Um, I wanna reinforce, how do we identify problems for folks? Again, it's using the two ears and one mouth. It's understand what it is that they want, and I even ask them, okay, this is what you want, what it is you think you have? listing that out writing it out and then comparing where they're different once you've got that gap in mind closing that gap solves a problem creates value for them um, and the great thing in finance is we've access to decision makers so we can have those conversations and we've also access to the financial data or non-financial data as well so very well positioned to do this um, right so let's go in through these questions i want to make sure i get through them within the time 
Yeah, eyeball popped out. Would you believe that really happened? Scary stuff. It also teaches you never to get too stressed in finance. So very good lesson. Um, that was another thing as well. A lot of my early mentors were Scottish finance directors. I, I don't really understand why um, that was, but a lot of Scots um, seem to make very good finance uh, leaders. Um, who knew, right? Um, how do you create value in a small organization with little, little data? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I suppose it's always about um, when when it's a small organization with little data, maybe it's a case of trying to benchmark with others. I mean, this is something I found over my career is that the internet opens up so many more opportunities. And, um, and then when you, how do you say, so that's why we did the app for the value potential pulse is to, um, is to understand what people are doing well and where we could do better and come up with solutions so everyone we can raise all chips within finance in all organizations that we serve in terms of adding value so how do you add create value in a small organization um, go and learn from other organizations like a big one i was telling a story to a very senior executive at a large multinational last night over dinner about um, us going out so I, I worked in a large corporate finance team we went out to a small organization to learn from them, a team where they had one finance director controller and a part-time accounts person, right? We went and learned from them. Um, we just uh, looked to understand their business. So I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you is to maybe go and, and maybe um, arrange a meeting with a larger business in your locality or get together in a small business forum. Last week, I was up in Sheffield in the north of England because one of the guest mentors there, uh, Simon Harrison, set up a a forum, a business analytics forum, and it was fantastic. He, the first one he said he set up had 24 members, uh, attendees. The next one had nearly 50, and they were worried because the, the health and safety of the, the, the meeting room they'd booked only catered for up to 50 people. So um, it's amazing what you can learn when, even if you're a small organizations like a lot of them that were there, can learn just by getting together and learning off of each other. Um, so if you were to invest in your finance team to learn this, how much should be allocated to learning and development in your opinion? Um, right, okay, I'm gonna to go to the tax man on that one. So if you think about assets as, um, uh, as, our, as our houses, right? If I remember in the UK, you could actually write off 10% of your, your income from your house, uh, renting out your house as a landlord um, without having any receipts i believe or expense uh, for your expenses you just had an allowance of 10 percent so i challenge most finance teams i know we're trying to work off world-class standards of around one percent of revenue in terms of the cost of the finance team so maybe the benchmark is something like 10 percent of that one percent uh, in terms of the, the company's revenue so that we're at least maintaining our assets like the landlord like the tax man in the uk tax man, man and woman in the uk believes we should be doing um, so even the tax tax authorities recognise we need to at least be maintaining our assets. Be interesting to see how many finance organisations are putting 10% of their budget into this area into maintaining their assets so that we don't get those deficiencies. Um, great questions coming in. Great questions. Uh, what do you recommend on educating non-finance staff to become more commercially minded? Oh wow. Um, You'd hope that the, the non-finance staff were commercially minded because they're meant to be the experts in their areas. Um, that's 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 a that's one has actually really knocked knocked me off. Um, 
I suppose, you know, it comes back to maybe some of our core skills is laying out and really understanding what it is that they, they want, um, where they, they see things going. And then, okay, say maybe helping them get to where they want. And then say, like, um, one technique I've seen very useful is a pre-mortem. Okay, following that thinking through, right, um, where do you see it sort of ending, da, da, da. And then you could say, what if this happened? You know, what if your decision was an absolute disaster? What would we have to do then to recover the situation? It might sort of um, get them thinking a bit more, uh, less positively about the decision and figuring out maybe some uh, mechanisms, some systems that need to be built in to protect from the, 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 the downsides that could potentially happen that you're seeing in maybe your more commercially minded mindset, Nathan. So great question, um, I have to say, very good. All right, um, I wanna to get to the questions. There was another one. A number of years ago, a non-finance colleague called me an enigma. I'm proud of that because it meant that I took time to understand his, their needs and then acted on that. Oh, I'm, that's a great story. We need more enigmas, completely agree. It was also business, uh, business partner. The term wasn't used that attracted me to see him a long time ago. Yeah, you know, business partnering, whatever we want to call it, it's just a mindset. It's a really around providing value to others. So, so great story, Alan. Love that. Love it. Um, all right. Uh, okay, I've been jumping around the questions. Um, hi, going beyond finance, how do we capture value across the group, e.g. automation projects? Well, automation project is only going to displace the navigators. If we want to, to go beyond finance, we need to move to those higher order questions. So it's about deploying, engaging with the business, helping them put the solutions into place and making sure we're learning from them and moving forward. Great, great point too, Bill. Um, all right. And I think, uh, I think we're pretty much running out of time. So look, I, I hope I got to all those those questions. Uh, apologies if I missed a couple. I'm, I'm fairly new to this format. But if um, if you do want to follow the conversation, my contact details are still up on the screen. I'm more than happy to engage in a conversation outside. Um, look, hope you really enjoyed this event and um, would appreciate if you filled the survey out afterwards and also um, attend the other ones in this World Virtual Finance Summit. Um, there's some fantastic speakers and um, yeah, look, I think you know, really, really blown away by the level of engagement, the interest and the fact that uh, we're willing to learn here. So uh, the future is looking really bright for us in finance. Uh, take care, everyone, and have a great rest of the week and enjoy your days. Take care. Bye bye. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, 
We'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.